Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Here we are at midweek already, and we have lots to talk about following the uh, State of the Union speech last night, and uh, plenty in there for us to talk about, and we will with our with several guests here on the show today. We're going to talk with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. We'll talk about the trade, talk about some of the things mentioned by the president last night, also some of the things going on in trade talks, get updates on those. Also be talking trade with Maria Zeba, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. And we'll talk infrastructure improvements with the CEO of the Farm Credit Council, Todd Van Hoos, will be joining us a little bit later on in the program as well. But let's get started. Joining us now is Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. I would say, as we knew going in and was on full display last night, I would have is divided. <laughs> uh, I would agree with that. Uh, there is analysis this morning that even... President Trump's could, uh, speech could be divided into two sections, uh, half of it in which he is uh, talking about things on which he thinks there could be national unity, and uh, such as fighting HIV-AIDS and, and working on uh, children's cancer, and the other half in which he is appealing to his uh, base and hoping that the things he said about immigration uh, and um, some other matters uh, would be uh, would be appealing to them in 2020. So indeed, we are still in a position of division. I'm not a big fan of these speeches because they've become such political theater and all about you know who's standing, who's sitting, and we're we're into facial reactions and things like that. It 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 really is playing to the cameras in many cases. But I thought his speech uh, had a lot of parts in it. That I was surprised that uh, you know at, when someone didn't stand or applaud. I thought some general themes that you would have thought there could have been some uh, you know unity on, and in some of those, even then there wasn't. No, actually, the only one on which there was general applause was when he said uh, he was pleased that there are so many women members of Congress. Uh, for that, the Democratic women in white stood up, and then finally everybody uh, everybody joined them. Uh, even if, even though, of course, uh, almost all the new women who've been elected are Democrats and uh, and are strongly opposed to a lot of Trump's policies, I did find that a fascinating moment. To me, what the speech and that whole uh, the whole performance last night by both sides it put on full display for everyone to see. I think really what's what's going on in this country that uh, no matter. What the president would have said uh, that uh, the, those that were in opposition to him, the critics of him, were had already decided they weren't going to change their position. Both sides seem to be so so entrenched in their positions. Uh, even though it was a speech calling for coming together in unity, I think it just shows that uh, the, both sides are really entrenched. And each side, I think their idea of unity is as long as it, they get what they want. I, I'm still waiting to see the compromise from both sides. Uh, well, indeed, and both sides have had successes. The, if you want to call it the right or the Trumpian people got elected Trump, 
2016, and the Democrats did so well in the 2018 elections uh, that I don't think either side sees a, a reason to be unified, which, of course, is a terrible issue when it comes to policy, such things as approving the new U.S.-Mexico-Canadian Free Trade Agreement, uh, dealing with infrastructure, uh, dealing with uh, with any issues that the um, uh, that the country that the country needs. Yeah, when both sides are convinced that they are right, they're not really you know moved to uh, compromise very much. So you're right; it it makes it hard to see a path forward to getting some of these big things done, like USMCA. Uh, and more immediate, getting the something passed to fund the government so we don't have another shutdown. Indeed. Now, I still find it hard to believe we're going to have another shutdown because everybody was so exhausted by the last one. Um, but the odd thing was that President Trump did not talk last night at all about declaring a national emergency. And there were a lot of people who thought he would he would mention that uh as you know, saying he would do that if they don't include some funding for the border wall in this in the in a in a uh, an agreement on appropriations, but he didn't say it. So we're just kind of left wondering. And and my goodness, February fifteenth is coming up very quickly. So um, now I just don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, at the same time, yesterday at the Farm Farm Foundation here, there was a long discussion about the importance of implementing the, uh, the Farm Bill and how they're behind because of the shutdown. Um, uh, so really, rural America does not need another shutdown. Yeah, still trying to... What did you learn in that uh, meeting yesterday when you heard from USDA officials? What is their plan for getting this Farm Bill implemented? Well, um, uh, Steve Sensky, the Deputy Secretary, is in charge of the Farm Bill Working Group. They've asked each agency to uh, come up with a paper that lists what needs to be done uh, and who's going to do it and what their timeline is. They're putting the, the implementation of the new dairy policy first because it's viewed that the, that the dairy farmers have the biggest problems uh, at the moment. Uh, and in the, in the new dairy program, the farmers will be eligible uh, for uh, benefits beginning January 1st, so that will be uh, that will be retroactive. Um, the other big point that was made was that a lot of the uh, changes to farm programs in the Farm Bill were relatively minor, and therefore might not have to go through rulemaking because they are making changes to existing programs rather than setting up a new program. Uh, so uh, Sensky said they would not use the shutdown as an excuse not to get things uh, not to get things done. Uh, but um, uh, you know, if you have another shutdown, shutdown the the implementing the farm bill was not one of the activities that was allowed during the shutdown. So the only agency that did anything on that was the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Um, uh, which had uh, money in another way, um, and so it could keep operating. But um, uh, you know they've got they've got a lot to, they've got a lot of work to do. Yes, they do. All right, Jerry. Interesting times in which we live. Thanks for being with us, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. All right. Take care, Jerry Hagstrom, with the Hagstrom Report.
You know, another thing that stood out to me watching that last night is how many members of Congress are running for president. It almost seems like, not that that's new, but it seems like there's more of that now, more people running all the time. And almost seems like you wonder if you're holding an office and you're running for another office, are you really doing your job? Are you representing the people that uh, you were that elect you to do that job when you're running already for another one? Almost... Are we getting to a point where you need to step down from, uh, if you're holding an office, step down from it to run for another one? Just my thoughts. I, it kind of makes you wonder, yes, can you totally focus on one job if you're thinking about another one? What do you think about that? You can email me, host, uh, rather, uh, Mike Adams at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Love to hear from you on that. What about some of those trade issues that were brought up last night by the president? We'll talk about them with Dave Salmonson. Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. That's next on AOA. Stay with us. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the U.S. never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 
800-664-2612. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk trade following last night's State of the Union address. Joining us now, Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us. Uh, Let's get right into it. The president uh, blasted the old NAFTA once again and called for support of the new NAFTA, USMCA. I don't know, looking out at that crowd last night and the the division out there, I thought it's it's going to be a really tough battle uh, ahead to get this thing passed. Well, there'll be plenty of work to do, but there always is with trade agreements, and, you know, it's going to take time. But the process, uh, as it unfolds, will eat up the next several months. Um, There is that required report from the International Trade Commission, which is now due sometime in mid-April. It was delayed a little bit because of the government shutdown. And then the administration has to send up uh, some legal statements about the changes in the law, and, but it really is the administration that starts the process uh, totally uh, when they send up an implementing bill. That's the difference about trade agreements and the trade promotion authority law is that it isn't like any other law where a congressman or senator introduces the bill. Here the administration has to do the bill, send it up to the two committees, Finance and Ways and Means, and then it gets going. So. Timing, uh, working with leadership to decide how this is going to work out is really how this gets started. And so we're looking ahead over the next several months uh, for this to get going. He once again, as he's done many times, ever back to the campaign and ever since, uh, blasted NAFTA as being a bad deal. Uh, I always think, well, you should put a little asterisk there. For most of agriculture, it's not been a disastrous deal. He, he kind of... Uh, glosses over that or refuses to ever mention that well he's talking to a to a different constituency on that so uh the uh, union people and such who've uh, never uh, thought nafta was good for them and we all know for agriculture just on the overall trade numbers we went from about 8.9 billion of ag sales to canada and mexico right before nafta and now we're almost 40 billion dollars of exports to canada and mexico so Getting rid of tariffs uh, is a good thing for trade, and it's worked out well for uh, mostly or overall for U.S. agriculture. There's always issues, and some of these were discussed in the new USMCA, and it has improvements in uh, sanitary standards, so they're more uniform, biotechnologies, so we'll have uh, basically complete acceptance there, Uh, geographic indications, uh, issues that were dealt with that's important to dairy and uh, meat products. So there are a lot of improvements, uh, issues that have been around for years, got uh, modernized. Um, Some improvements in dairy and poultry sales to uh, Canada, increased quotas there, so we'll have some more trade with that. But basically the issue for agriculture was the continuity. We certainly didn't want to go back to the world of tariffs that we faced before NAFTA. And, of course, all of our ag trade with Mexico is tariff-free, almost all of it with Canada outside of dairy and poultry. So... Um, we want to keep that continuing, uh, so at least Farm Bureau and I think most of agriculture is supporting USMCA and we'll work to get it done, and I uh, think that's going to take a lot of our effort uh, this year. Of course, we have the impact being still being felt on agriculture with the uh, steel and aluminum uh, tariffs. 
on Mexico and Canada. I'll say this, the president's consistent. He blasts the old NAFTA even to ag groups So uh, uh, <laughs> while promoting the new USMCA. Now let's move on to China. Uh, the president uh, said last night that any deal with uh, China must include real structural change to end unfair trade practices, reduce our chronic trade deficit, and protect American jobs. Uh, there's some thought that uh, he will meet perhaps with the Chinese president uh, later this month when he is also planning to visit the, the North Korean dictator and um, some talk that that meeting could be in v- Vietnam towards the end of this month. Uh, where do you see us at right now following last week's talks and what you're hearing moving forward with China? Well, the talks, uh, again, on these things, you want the talks to continue. And, of course, I think they had some good discussion last week, moved it along. Of course, we saw some uh, announcement from China that they would buy more, specifically soybeans, something that they had committed to do there early in December. Another announcement of that, some more purchases, which is all for the good as far as uh, ag is concerned. But the continuing of the talks is uh, to get some overall deal down the road is what's the most important part. Uh, it will take President Trump and President Xi, I think, having a face-to-face meeting uh, to get to anything definitive and anything final on this. So if this comes together at the end of the month, along with that meeting uh, with North Koreans, it's going to happen in Vietnam. Uh, maybe we'll see some near-term agreements. Uh, the longer-term issues, of course, technology transfer and all of those intellectual property are just going to take more time. These are some fundamental changes China would have to make to be where the U.S. wants them to be. So I think those will continue. But they're up against that hard deadline of March 1st when our 10% tariffs on that $200 billion of Chinese imports was scheduled to go to 25%. And China does not, obviously does not want to see that happen. Uh, so I think they'll, they'll keep engaging uh, in these talks. And maybe we can get to some uh, finality here and move to uh, reduce or dismantle the tariff regime that's grown up on both sides. Uh, so we can get back to normal trade. Um, I think these kind of interim agreements can lead to that, even if we don't get to a final agreement on all these uh, long-term issues. Well, U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer scheduled to meet with the Senate Finance Committee and Senate Advisory Group on negotiations to discuss uh, uh, China-U.S. trade talks and some other issues. And there are quite a few... uh, Uh, business representatives and farmers in Washington, D.C. today to talk about this issue uh, with the administration to try to get an end to the uh, trade war, a fly-in organized by the uh, Tariffs Hurt the Heartland uh, Coalition. Now, let's talk more about tariffs. The president has asked Congress to pass legislation that would expand his power to impose tariffs. Meanwhile, there's a bipartisan group that is planning to file some legislation perhaps today that could scale back the president's tariff authority. So we have a, a tariff battle, tariff powers battle going on in Congress. Yeah. yeah, we have some different approaches. No one is sure yet whether these bills are there to talk about issues or if ultimately anything will pass in either house. Uh, too soon to tell. But uh, first, what the president talked about is something that's been called the Reciprocal Trade Act that's been introduced by some folks on the House side. Um, what that would do would give the president more authority over tariffs. He could act to counter foreign tariffs by raising ours. So that's uh, one approach. Uh, criticisms of that are, well, if, uh, number one, it's more power for the president, 
I know that some people, especially Senator Grassley, has been quoted as saying he's not in favor of giving the president more power over trade. So I don't know if that uh, bill is actually going to go anywhere. And, and what it really would do would, in a sense, run around the way we've been doing trade for quite a while now, whereas you have a trade agreement, basically Congress authorizes negotiations, the executive branch negotiates, and then Congress approves. And so this would give more president. And a lot of trade agreements, a lot of it is about tariffs, and you have to negotiate them down. And this would say the Congress, basically the president on his own, can make these tariff actions. So I think people are... Uh, uh, Senator Toomey, Senator Portman come up with different ideas of ways to restrict authority for the president over tariffs, mostly related to that Section 232 national security issue where the president uh, put tariffs uh, through that exception, you might say, through that uh, one way. Uh, they're also looking at potentially putting tariffs on auto imports. So people are really concerned about the unchecked uh, or the scope of the power the president has to do it for national security reasons. So it'll be a uh, debate, I'm sure, that goes on about uh, congressional power versus presidential power, um, and we'll be certainly watching it closely. Yeah, when he made his call for uh, the reciprocal trade legislation last night, I thought uh, it was uh, met with uh, lukewarm acceptance. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was not overwhelming by any means. Yeah, it, it goes to into something they really take very, very, obviously very, very seriously, the power of institutions. Um, you know, right in the Constitution, Congress has power over the economy, over setting tariffs and such. And while they've given the president more authority over the years, I think they're going to be very aware mostly of uh, making any changes to that. So um, I'm sure that'll uh, there'll be discussion about that going forward. Hey, just real quick, 30 seconds, uh, Dave. It doesn't, doesn't sound like trade deal with Europe is going real smoothly. Well, I think both with the one, you know, they could have started both EU and Japan legally. They could have basically started now. Um, but I think both EU and Japan are really wary of this potential for tariffs on autos. And there will be a report on that coming out in a few weeks from the Commerce Department so I think they're really focused on that and uh, which way that goes and what the pre action the president takes on that, plus all the issues we've had with the EU on agriculture, which uh, they have a hard time dealing with. So we'll, we'll have to see how that works out. All right, Dave, thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon. Okay, take care. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. We'll talk more about some of these trade issues with the Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Uh, we're going to really focus in on those tariffs on Mexico, on steel and aluminum, how they impact the pork industry. Stay with us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. 
The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us. Always have been. Opportunity is everywhere, if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Alverson from the American Ag Network. For the third day in a row, USDA has reported that U.S. soybeans have been sold for export to China. Today, the agency's Foreign Agricultural Service confirming that 586,000 metric tons of soybeans have been sold. Since Monday, USDA has reported over 4 million tons of soybeans being sold to China. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says there are no plans yet for President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping to meet to finalize a trade deal. Trump has said no agreement would be final until he meets with his Chinese counterpart. Meanwhile, the grain market is expecting bullish news to come out of USDA's WASDE report on Friday. Another slow day expected in the grains ahead of the numbers. The news to come out on Friday will likely prove most beneficial for corn futures, according to trade guesses, with analysts estimating corn production and supply to be down from last year. Reports that Russia says it has enough wheat to meet domestic demand and that it will slow down export sales of wheat expected to be bullish for U.S. wheat prices in the short term. March Chicago wheat a penny and a half higher at 528 and three quarters. Kansas City March steady at 511 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat March down a quarter of a cent at 574 and three quarters. In corn the March contract down a penny and a quarter at 379 and a half. March soybeans down a half at 919 and three querds of a cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, nearby February down 30 cents at 126.40, April down 17 at 127.42, feeder cattle March down a nickel at 143.77, February lean hogs up a nickel at 56.47. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 88 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we continue discussing trade issues. Joining us now, Maria Ziva, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Maria, thanks for joining us. The president touched on some key trade issues last night in his State of the Union speech. What did you think? Well, we are very, um, we, we like the fact that he mentioned the ratification of USMCA. 
Um, I think that that's going to be very important for our producers. But for us, the top of the issue is definitely going to be that we need to end those trade disputes with Mexico and Canada. Which means getting rid of the tariffs on steel and aluminum, right? That's correct. we got to get rid of those steel and aluminum tariffs that have been affecting our producers uh, since last year. They've been going on for more than six months now. And it's costing us $12 per animal just in the Mexican market. Uh, that means a $1.5 billion loss, according to Iowa State economist Dermot Hayes. Yeah, you know, a lot of people might say, wait a minute, why do steel and aluminum tariffs hurt pork producers? Explain that for us. Sure. Um, right now, the United States, on national security concerns, um, issued tariffs against Canada and Mexico on their exports of steel and aluminum to the United States. Um, and in, in retaliation for, for that, Mexico and Canada have uh, put together a list of agricultural products that they want to retaliate against, and U.S. pork is on that list, and we've been on that list. We face a 20% tariff into the Mexican market, and as you know, this is a very important market for us. It's our largest uh, export market in terms of volume, and, you know, we've been we've been very patriotic so far and, and continuing on with these tariffs, but enough is enough. Do you get any sense at all uh, in conversations with administration officials that they're anywhere near being willing to lift those uh, tariffs? You know, I know that the administration has been working on this issue. We hear a lot from the Mexicans as well and the Canadians, but it seems like we're on a standstill on this issue. I I spent a lot of time up on the Hill this week um, talking to our members of Congress, and it's, it's... It's on top of mind for everyone, not just the administration and pork producers, but also members of Congress. Uh, What do you think about, you know, the president wants uh, broader tariff powers, the reciprocal trade legislation he talked about last night. Meanwhile, there are efforts within Congress, bipartisan efforts, to kind of cut back or curb uh, some of the president's powers when it comes to tariffs. Uh, Interesting battle going on there very interesting. MPPC hasn't taken a position on on any of these three bills that are out there. Um, for us, our biggest, biggest, biggest issue is to make sure that we end these trade disputes that have been affecting us for so long and causing serious financial harm to our U.S. pork producers. You know, um, this is a negotiation that has to happen between the U.S. administration and Canada and Mexico. Um, what Congress does is another thing. So it remains to be seen if USMCA will pass, but if it passed and you still we still have tariffs on steel and aluminum on Mexico and Canada, does that basically offset uh, any advances or gains of passing USMCA? You know, for us, we've, we need to have USMCA passed. Um, but obviously it makes it very difficult to compete in that climate um, in Mexico when our biggest competitors don't face that 20% punitive tariff. 
Um, we will work very hard to make sure that Congress is aware of the huge benefits of USMCA to U.S. pork producers and to all of agriculture. But as long as this hangs over ha- uh, overhead, it, it, um, it really it makes it very difficult for our producers to be competitive in these markets. Well, it's an interesting strategy. We wait to see if it's going to work or not. But basically, the administration's using tariffs to try to reduce tariffs. Doesn't it come down to that? Uh, yes, you know, and this this president has a very unique um, way of negotiating, um, and we'll see how how it all plays out. Unfortunately, uh, pork is at the at the center of the dispute. I think that has to do with the the fact that we've been so successful in exporting to the 20 countries with which we have a free trade agreement. Um, We've we've seen tremendous gains over the last 20 years or so, and um, it's it's very easy to to put us on those lists. We're talking with Maria Ziba, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. All right, let's switch to China. Uh, We had the talks last week, more talks coming up, it looks like, later this month. We're heading towards that March 1st deadline. Uh, Are you encouraged by what you see and hear or still concerned about uh, where we're headed with this? No, I'm encouraged that the negotiations are ongoing with the Chinese. I know that um, pork market access is at the top of the list of negotiations along with those intellectual property issues and um, technology transfer uh, for us, of course, we are on two retaliation lists with the Chinese, and that is something that we're going to have to see a resolution to. Um, right now, it's costing us about $8 per animal. It's an annualized um, loss of a billion dollars, according to Iowa State economist Dermot Hayes, and it makes us very uncompetitive in that market. Okay, so I'm doing... I'm writing this down. It looks you're saying that um, <laughs> tariffs are costing pork producers twelve dollars a head uh, to Mexico and uh, eight dollars a head uh, with China. Is that right? That's correct. So twenty dollars combined, um, and it makes it very difficult for us to compete and to continue on like this. Um, as you, as everybody knows out there, margins are tight, and um, it, it's. It's sad that we are on three retaliation lists. Yeah, twenty dollars a head. That's a that's a pretty big hit. Uh, all right, what about Japan? You're hearing anything about a deal there or some form of uh, TPP? Uh, you know, TPP that we get back into, uh, or what are you hearing along those lines? Anything? The National Pork Producers Council submitted uh, comments to the International Trade Commission and U.S trade representatives um, at the end of last year uh, supporting supporting um, negotiations with Japan. Obviously, this is a huge market for us. Um, it's our largest export market in terms of value, and we need to continue to have access. Um, right now, we're, we're staring as, uh, at this while our competitors have essentially jumped in and negotiated better deals than we have. Um, We're standing to to quite possibly lose this entire market in the next few years if we can't get in there and negotiate our own deal. Um, 
I think that the negotiations are, are about to begin soon. Um, and on the CPTPP, I don't think that this administration is likely to rejoin or join the CPTPP. So it's probably going to have to be a bilateral deal with Japan then? Yeah, it'll be a bilateral deal. I think that uh, the president is very keen to that. Obviously, we want the same type of deal that we had previously in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, We've seen some of our biggest competitors around the world, including Canada and the European Union, uh, essentially copy and paste the deal that we had. So, you know, we want to level the playing field and get back in there. The loss of that market... Well, we're talking twenty dollars ahead from Mexico and China on tariffs. What would what would it be to lose that Japanese market? Well, like I said, Japan is our largest export market, um, over one and a half billion dollars. It makes it very uncompetitive when we have to pay high tariffs and duties. Um, so we're hoping that the administration is going to negotiate this deal quickly, like they said they would. But. Your point, and we've heard this from dairy and other sectors, when these other countries enter into trade deals with each other, leaving us out, that uh, that threatens our market share in those key markets, right? It makes it harder for us to sell into those markets. Yeah. So, for example, we're paying 20% duty on seasoned ground pork. The Canadians and Europeans right now are paying 12%. There's a discrepancy of 8% right off the bat right now and that makes it very hard you know if the the japanese have to decide whether they're going to pay eight percent more on a u.s product um as as much as we have they have been loyal customers and we have the highest quality pork um it makes that price difference can can be significant Well, there's certainly a lot on the line here as these negotiations continue. Maria, thank you for being with us and giving us an update and and giving us some numbers to look at on the impact on on the pork industry. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. Maria Zeba, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Yeah, when you you start putting it in numbers like that, uh, you know, the... The steel and aluminum tariffs on Mexico, which Mexico retaliates back against our pork producers, that's $12 a head. The tariffs with China, that's $8 a head. You know, that really adding up. And then you've got the, the concern about losing that the key Japanese market as well. So, indeed, uh, these trade discussions and issues are at the highest level. So we'll see where they go. And, you know, uh, another takeaway from last night, once again, we've been hearing this for two years, that there's bipartisan support for infrastructure improvements in this country, but yet uh, we don't see a big move in that area. Several groups have uh, come together to try to get uh, the point across to Washington that we need to get moving on these things. And we're going to talk about it with the CEO of the Farm Credit Council, Todd Van Hoos. That's coming up next here on AOA. Stay with us. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. 
Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need?
premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with mobile help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that. Call mobile help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects fall and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We continue to hear members of both political parties say they support infrastructure improvements in this country, but yet it seems increasingly difficult to get them together uh, to actually get these things going in a big way. Well, the Farm Credit Council has joined with the Rebuild Rural Coalition. They've sent a letter to congressional leadership um, asking for movement on rural infrastructure and explaining the uh, the need that's out there, speaking on in behalf of rural communities and U.S. ag producers and rural businesses and rural families. Joining us now is the CEO of the Farm Credit Council, Todd Van Hoos. Todd, thank you for joining us. The president mentioned infrastructure improvements last night, which seemed to get this, uh, you know, good uh, response from uh, members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. But uh, are you seeing and hearing anything that makes you think they're ready to move forward on this, not just talk about it? Well, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And, and yeah, I think I think there's reason for optimism here. If, if you look at the political situation in Washington, I think it's in both parties' interest, uh, almost uniquely in both parties' interest, to, to try to find something they can work together on. And, and if you think that will be an agriculture, uh, excuse me, an infrastructure package. And so we're very hopeful that, that both parties are going to see that most Americans are calling for them to do something, the thing they do. You know, I look back two years ago after the election, I thought this was the, this was the home run that they could hit. This is where they could come together and, and get. And here we are a couple years later, still, still waiting for that major push, though. You know, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, we, we sent the original letter to Congress calling for infrastructure and especially rural infrastructure uh, just after the original inauguration of the president. And we were very well received. But as you might imagine, you know, things in Washington get very difficult. And where to get the money? Uh, it, it, can you clear the legislative calendar? All becomes very complicated. So we're hopeful we're going to try it again. We think it's really important. We think it's something that most members of Congress to do. The president certainly agrees there's a need to do it, and so we're, we're pushing. Now, there are many different layers to this. I mean, when, when we look at the need out there, roads, bridges, locks, dams, uh, Internet access. I mean, there, there are a lot of different areas. Is that slowing it down, too, because there's so many different parts to this? Well, you know, we created Rebuild Rural to focus on the distinct needs of rural infrastructure. Uh, 
and you just named a lot of them. What we have noticed in the past is that in big infrastructure packages that Congress has, has done in the past years, you, you see these big ideas about infrastructure, but very few of them are focused on the unique situation in, in rural America. So the need to, you know, people talk about surface transportation and they tend to talk about interstates. Well, that's fine, but we need ways to get to the interstate. We need um, better rail ties to get to the hubs. We need better farm roads to get places. We need Internet uh, that is equal to any of the suburban and, and urban areas out there. And so when you, when you start talking about need, it's important for us to say, look, the unique needs of rural America need to be addressed in any infrastructure package that goes forward. Now, the, the complicating factor, as you just said, was there are so di many different elements of infrastructure, it's hard to get them all in one big package. But is there anything moving right now? Uh, is there a piece of legislation either uh, being prepared or close to being prepared that you think could be the one that is the vehicle to move on this? We do. We, we think that there is, is, a, is a growing uh, discussion, certainly amongst uh, staff and members in the House, House of Representatives. We, we expect that there will be a House infrastructure bill. Um, it, I mean, it's not been introduced yet. It doesn't have a bill number or anything like that. But we know those discussions are going on now. The question really is how broad is it going to be and where are you going to get the money to fund it? Yeah. You know, uh, when I think of uh, the broadband issue, if you live in an area where you have good Internet connection, you, you, it's probably hard to imagine there are parts of the country that don't have it. But there are. And uh, in this day and age with the technological advances we've made, I mean, to me, that just seems inexcusable. It, it is. And, and we would we would completely agree with you there. And, and we think it, it needs to be rethought. I mean, if you think about uh, the big initiatives in the past that, that really tied urban and rural America together, uh, rural electrification, right? Mm -hmm. Rural telephone service. Okay, now that's ubiquitous. Now let's talk about uh, rural um, uh, telecommunications in a much more modern way. And so we think it is absolutely imperative that you bring rural, give rural America the same opportunity to have that modern broadband, have that modern Internet access, that drives most of the rest of the economy. With you, you can't expect the rural economy to thrive. You can't expect rural health care to thrive without modern telecommunications available out there. Yeah, it, I've thought a lot about that, too. It, this is like the modern version of getting electricity across the country. I mean, uh, we need it to have that same right. effort, right? That, that's right. And, and, you know, look. The, the, the person, the last person on the end of the electric telephone or the electricity line never could have afforded to pay for that whole thing, right? And so we understood as a nation that it was in our interest as a nation to have everybody connected. And we think that's still the case. Well, I'm encouraged to hear that you're optimistic something's going to move on this. Well, look, I, you know, in, in this environment, uh, you know, look, I've been in Washington a long time. It's, it's it's hard to be an optimist at times, right? But we think that there is a possibility this could come together if, if for no other reason than I, I think, as you heard a little bit in the president's speech last night, the reaction to his mention on infrastructure, there's a growing agreement that something needs to be done. And as you look at how are we going to compete with China, how are we going to compete with a lot of other economies out there in the future, 
the way we've done it right now is with enormously productive infrastructure, and that has deteriorated to the point where we're going to have to address this as an international competitive issue. And so I think there's a big consensus that the need is out there, but the real question is, can we get together on a solution? Yeah, infrastructure's always been our advantage over uh, other countries, and now we're, we're losing that advantage, and we need to address it uh, sooner rather than later. In fact, which should have been done even before now. Todd, thank you for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Todd Van Hoos, CEO of the Farm Credit Council. Well, that does it for today. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. Have a great day, everyone. Join us again tomorrow.